Good morning. You know, to lead something like that, well, to get out of the way of something like that, is something that I believe the body of Christ in the Western world has, in a sense, longed for but forgotten. They desire it, but then they feel uncomfortable. And I encourage you to get comfortable with it. You know, we, we have to have a value for the presence of the Lord. It is, a, it is a relational kingdom. That's literally what we're in the, busy speaking about. Last night we had an encounter night here. Let me tell you, the presence of the Lord last night was just, I mean, he's always, he's always present. We know that. But the presence of the Lord was manifested in such a way. I came up here on the stage to close it, and I like heard in my head, the Lord said, get off the stage. I did. I mean, he's going to stay after that. And uh, it was just amazing to see wonderful things just God ministering to people. It's wonderful. So, if you have a Bible, can you hold it in your hands, please? We were going to have an announcement, a staff announcement, but we'll do that next week. And um, I'm going to go through this as fast as I can. But I wonder if you could hold the scriptures in your hand. I have a... Um, go slow, someone says. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I just... I got this Bible recovered. It was destroyed. I read it and read it. And it's funny, I asked the guys, the, the, the store or whatever, who recovered it. I said, can you not put the, the words Holy Bible on the side? And the guy became very nervous. <laughs> like He's like, I mean, I, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. And I could tell he's like trying to ask the Lord, but like, what do I? And I said, I want to put Logos, Rhema. And graphe. Graphe is the word for scriptures. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, well, that's fine. And so <laughs> that was just funny. But I wonder if we, if we could hold it in our hand. It is the word of God and the scriptures all together. And Father, we come to your word and we value it, we honor it. And we pray, open our hearts this morning. Let revelation pierce our heart and our soul. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm just, if you can turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 10. We've been speaking about a religious system or a relational kingdom. John 9, a religious system. John 10, a relational kingdom. And as soon as you start getting into John 10, you have to start speaking about the voice of the Lord, because that's what it's about. And Jesus comes along in a sense, and I know I've said this for the last few weeks, but he comes along and he's about to open the way. He's about to make sure that there's no more mediators. Oh, I'm so sorry, babe. Can I have my water? And every week, people I know. One day, I'll remember. And um, thank you. And he comes along and he says, listen, I'm about to give you access to the Lord. I'm about to remove the veil and you're going to have access into the presence of the Lord. And he says, so I'm, I'm going to lead you in a sense. Our relationship is going to change and I'm going to lead you by my voice. And I said this last week and I wasn't going to say this again, but I feel just in my heart that it needs to be maybe explained a little bit. I said last week that it is never God's intention, uh, if you look at uh, the original scriptures, it was never God's intention to, to, in a sense, have a person have to tell between right and wrong, good and evil. Obviously, that comes from our conscience. That's what the Bible says. That, but that came from where? Eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, yeah? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before that, there was just the voice of the Lord, and he led them by his voice. And he talked with him, and he walked with him in the garden. And as soon as the enemy came and twisted God's voice and twisted what he said, in a sense, 
They ate of the tree, and in a sense, conscience was born. And so a lot of people have been taught in church um, or in schools or classes that the voice of the Lord is the voice of your conscience. But I'm here to tell you it's actually not. Because the Bible says that you can have a corrupted conscience, you can have a defiled conscience, you can have a seared conscience, means it can go like just dead, like you feel nothing. And you can't do any of those things to the Lord. So when a person gets saved, everybody has in them a mechanism, mankind has in them a mechanism, their conscience, which they're born with, everybody. And it's, uh, the Bible also calls it moral law. It's a, it's a conscience and it tells you that's right, that's wrong. We all have it. We're pricked by our conscience. You're walking along, something happens, you're like, that's not good. Everyone has that. But when a person gets saved, the Spirit of God comes alive and comes to live in your heart, and you, in a sense, are awakened unto life, you move from death to life, your conscience starts to be reshaped by the Holy Spirit. So that your conscience slowly starts to, in a sense, um, it comes under the authority of the Spirit, and they start to say the same thing. That takes some training. It takes some, what we're going to get into today. But it was always God's original intention to lead you by his voice. Always. So Jesus comes along and he says, I've come to give you life. You ate of the tree of death. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was actually the tree of death. He says, if you eat of it, you'll die. You ate of the tree of death instead of the tree of life. I've come to restore what the enemy stole in the garden. I've come to give you life. But because we're in a fallen state, because we're in a fallen world, everything will be wrapped up when he comes back, yeah? Everything will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and there's a process that's going to take place. But in this day and age, he said, I've come to give you access. I've come to remove the veil. I've come to, to, to give you access to a personal relationship with the Lord. I've come to do that. But just like then, there's going to be a stranger's voice. This time, don't partner with it. Does that make sense? John 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. You know, I'm saying in my head, don't get distracted. Don't preach on this. But it is actually the desire of the Lord to have us so in tune to have his voice so sharp and crisp and clear that when another voice comes, it's shocking. That's what he said. They don't, they would, they were so, we're so hounded by so many voices today, so many influences. But it was actually his desire to say, you're going to know my voice. My desire is for you to be so close with me in this. It's a relationship. It's a relational kingdom that when something else comes, it's going to be so ov obvious to you. It's like if my, some other lady phones me and says, hi, it's me pretending to be her. I will know instantly, mm, that's not you, because I know her. It's like that with the Lord. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. 
Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So this, again, is speaking about the voice of the Lord in your daily life. It's in and out. It's in your daily life. There is a difference between how, in a sense, you are with the Lord in your devotional time, which we'll get to, how you are, in a sense, with the Lord in a public, in a corporate space like this. Sometimes this is easier, much easier for people. And how you are just, in a sense, hearing and walking with the Lord in just going to work, just living life, running errands. Those three are, in a sense, different, but yet they're all one life. But they kind of different. Who knows? Who understands what I'm saying? Who experiences that? They're different. It's different when I'm personally with the Lord, when I'm in corporate space. Sometimes in the corporate like this, when we come together and worship, everything Jesus has given us or opened for us, has designed for us, is to be expressed in the community with one another. You cannot say, the Bible says, you have no need of one another. Even prophets, you see in part. You see something, he sees something, she sees something. It's designed to be his body. And when we come together, some of the battles and some of the struggles, it's like as we worship, they go quiet. Because there's a corporate sense of expression of faith that's different to in the secret place of the Lord. It's not better or worse. It's different. It's meant to be different. So... Verse 10, uh, verse 7, Jesus said, Assuredly, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life. I've come to give you access to life again. We shut it up when you sinned. I've come to give you access. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not a shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And I said this last week. So a hireling, there's gifting there. He can identify the wolf. He can discern. He knows who's who. But he's not a shepherd because that gifting is about making himself something. It's a hireling. It's for what he can gain. It's for what he can get. It's what he can earn. But there is gifting. And in the religious system sometimes, in the world today, that is highly celebrated. The person with the gift. Look at the guy. Look at the lady. Look at the, and there's gifting. But their heart is still, the gifting is for me and from me. And it, in a sense, sets them up, puts a stage under them while God's people are scattered. We've seen a lot of that, yeah? There's a hireling. Gifting, absolutely. But the heart's not right. Then the hireling flees, verse 13, because he is a hireling and does, does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And, and other sheep I have, now this is very important, this is about you, and other sheep I have also which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they might, hmm, doesn't say that. Maybe they will hear my voice. That's you, Gentiles. 
and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So, sorry, I'm, I'm a bit of a mess up here. Got cables, sorry. It was pulling on my ear. So, last week, God is speaking to you. He is. Whether you're aware of it, discern it or not, if you agree with me or not, doesn't matter. More than just through this, not just this we're going to cover today, but he is speaking to you. Dallas Willett said, the greatest disservice we can ever do to a person is to tell them they can have a personal relationship with God. We hear that in the gospel message. And then tell them that God doesn't speak today. Not anymore, only through scripture. It's a great disservice. So God is speaking and he is speaking to you and you can hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice, John 10, 27. And God's life is in his word. We covered a little bit of that last week. I'm going to read you a list. I'm not going to go into this. What comes from his voice? Everything. Creation. I mean, everything that we see, everything that we know, is because God said something. If you have an actual relationship with him, you know this to be true. When God speaks into your heart, it changes your heart, changes how you feel, changes how you see, changes your perception. Just in basically this one chapter, you can list it. What speaks, what comes from his voice? According to scripture, just in this chapter, identity. He calls them by name. Only he gets to say who you are. And in the relationship with him, that's revealed. And he reveals it more and more and more as you walk with him. This is who you are. This is who you are. Because everything he says comes with the ability for it to be performed. Your identity comes from his voice. It's how he chooses to lead you. That's what he said. He leads them out. It's how we determine timing and safety. He says he brings out his own sheep. If you just, sometimes we have to try to figure everything out. If you just walk with him, he'll tell you, now, then, relationship, timing, safety, where I should live, what I should be doing. He brings you out to a spacious place. It's how sheep follow. It's how people follow the Lord. It's how he's determined for you to follow. Because we know, he says, my sheep follow me. Why? Because they know my voice. In Ethiopia, a friend of mine was there that night and they saw it. We were next to, kind of next to it in Kenya. And they had all these sheep and they come into this massive like kraal. I don't know if that's a, that's a thing, it's an Afrikaans word. It's a kraal. And they come into this massive like sheep pen, multiple shepherds. And all the sheep come in and the sheep were here and the shepherds were here. And the next morning, while it's still early, dark, I think it was three shepherds came out, and they each stood a separate distance apart. And the sheep can't see them because they're like over the hill. They're just, it's like, a, you know, the top of a mountain thing. And they're all here in a sheep pen. And one shepherd starts to, starts to speak. And his sheep that are all mixed, they all come out and go to him. And then the next one, they all come out. And go to him. Not by sight, hearing. They know my voice. It's how they follow. It's why they follow. Because they trust his nature. If you're afraid of someone, if you're terribly afraid of someone, or if you've had some awful trauma, and I'm sorry to bring it to your mind, or as a child, or something horrible happened, if that person, if they speak to you, you get afraid when you hear, you're like, oh, Well, it's the same in the other way. When the Lord speaks and you know his voice, even if it's the still small voice inside or even revelation through scripture, when he speaks to you, instantly there's trust. 
It's how, it's where you draw your value from. He said he owns the sheep, but then he tells you what price he paid. I came to give my life. That's the only place you draw your value from. It's how leaders should learn to, le to, to lead, actually, according to this scripture. Under shepherds, elders, pastors. He says the doorkeeper, that's the doorkeeper. They open the door so that people can see me. It's not a mediator anymore. It's not Jesus, pastor, people. It's Jesus, people. It's God, people. It's no mediator. It's you and him. And the under-shepherd leaders learn to lead by opening the door, and in a sense by being right there, by watching God's interaction with his people so they receive his heart and they, they treat people the same way. All by the relationship. I mean, each one of these you could preach on. Salvation comes this way. Protection comes this way. You will flee from a stranger's voice this way. Unity comes. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fault. They will be, we will bring all these different people together, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Supernatural unity. All of this comes by his voice. By letting God speak into your heart. And discerning and learning and growing in the voice of the Lord. So, I was going to go over the stranger's voice. But we're going to skip over that for the sake of time. Um, little things we can learn about. Actually, can, we quick, can I quickly go through this with you? It's actually very important. John 10, 5. They will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. What does that sound like? How do we determine it? Well, always go back to the first time. Let's go to Genesis, when the stranger's voice came in the garden. Genesis 3, verse 1 to 6, we know this verse, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord has made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, uh, but of the, sorry, we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that in the day of you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now there's so many sermons we could preach out of that, but just in terms of the stranger's voice, Watch this. Has God indeed said? So what's the first thing? The little voice, the little thoughts that come in your mind, little things. What's the first thing? Tries to get you to question what, God, what you know God has said to you, what God has revealed to you. First thing. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you're worth it. I'm not sure. I don't think he... It's just you. It's just... Hello? First thing. Second, always. You will surely not die. That's the lie but it's clouded with truth. They didn't physically die. It sounds true, but it's not. The Bible says in Romans 5 that sin entered, death entered through sin. It's happening today on the earth. There's a lot of people saying, this is what's true. There's a piece of truth in it, but it's actually not true. It's clouded. That's a stranger's voice. Well, I said it last week. A hireling always comes sounding like a shepherd. It's disguised. 
And he says, for, for God knows that the day, here's the seed of doubt. He's saying, listen, God knows something you don't. He's holding out on you. He's holding out on you. Trying to get you to doubt the character and the nature and the goodness of God. How does it happen with most of us? I don't think God wants to do that for you. I don't think God will set you free. Do you know what you looked like? Do you know what you did? You... Mm -hmm. It's quiet. That means you guys are like, that's me. Then he says, you will be like God. One of the main temptations, self. What's funny is they already were. They were made in his image and likeness. The Hebrew word there is twin. I'm not saying they were God, but they were the chief of his creation, the masterpiece of his creation. And he tries to tempt them with something that seems like it has power and wonder attached to it and tries to make them earn who God already said they were and who God made them to be. So this is always the question. He gets, he gets them to question his voice. Then he slips in a lie, which is clouded with truth. Happens today. He sows seeds of doubt about God's integrity and character and love. And then he throws the hook of self Self-preservation, self-glory, self. Boom. And you try to do by the strength of your own arm what God already has done for you. That's the stranger's voice. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting because the Bible has a strange scripture in Romans that says the law was given so that sin would increase. That's a strange scripture. But it's saying that to point out grace. It's saying that to say that he had to give the law to reveal to us that we can't live up to his righteousness so that we need Jesus. So we understand that. But you know that even that comes from listening to the stranger's voice. Before the fall of man, God had given Adam a law. Don't eat from it. They had no problem with it. Obedience was not considered hard. There was no issue with what they were told not to do until the stranger spoke. No issue. Obedience, sure. We're led by his voice. We trust him. He knows what's best. We have that moments. Hello? Is it just me? You live like that all the time? I have moments like, Lord, whatever, I trust you. And then other times I'm like, ugh, I don't want to, uh. Where does that fight come from? The stranger's voice. Once, and it is a partnership, that's why the devil, he needs the authority actually you have. He doesn't have any of his own, which I won't get into. But when we partner with him by obeying what he says or by doing what he puts in our hearts or whatever it may be, and it is a partnership, make no, no doubt about it. When we listen to the stranger's voice, it starts to put a lens on God's voice. And now it's, it, seems, it seems to have changed. They had no problem, no problem with obedience until the devil spoke up. So Jesus comes along saying, guys, I've come to give you life. I've come to lead you with my voice. I want to speak to you. I want to walk with you. I want you to know my voice, crisp, clear, sharp. I'm going to pay all the price that is needed to be paid so that you can have that. Please don't partner with the stranger's voice. It clouds mine. It changes what I've said to you. It makes you mistrust and doubt and struggle. Does that make sense? So, this is what I was going to talk to you about today. Was building a foundation for God's voice in my life.
<sighs> but I'm out of time. Some people are saying no. Other people are saying yes. <laughs> Super Bowl's coming. All right, until 6.30. All right. All right, so I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to go as quick as I can. It, the, unfortunately, not unfortunately, it's a study. We were going to do a Bible study today. It's quite in-depth, and so you can't race through it. But could I give you some of the principles of this? You can receive rhema. There's a difference between rhema and logos. Let's go to John 17. John 17, very, very important. Verse 6 to 8, Jesus is praying. Because we have to build a foundation in our heart. We have to build a foundation that the foundation is set so that we can hear the voice of the Lord. A lot of people, they come to me, if I can just... People that are prophetic, they're like, how do they know that? How did they do that? How do, you know, they prophesy, it's exactly, how did they know? That's what we were talking about yesterday, and you get that a lot. So people see that, and they're like, man, they really know the voice of the Lord. Well, that's partly has to do with gifting. That's different to the Lord speaking to you for you. Oh, it's different. And that is actually extremely precious to the Lord. That's John 10, me and you. And we have to build a foundation for that. Why? Because all the voices are going to come. There's so many voices hounding God's people today. And it's hard to discern. So, Jesus gave us some clues here in John 17. It says, verse 6, Jesus is praying. And um, he's praying for himself, his disciples, and for the world. Then he says this. He's speaking to God the Father. He says, I have manifested your name to the men, the disciples, whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. I love how simple this is. And you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. What did Jesus say over and over? I did, I did not come to, I do not say my own words. I do not speak of myself. I say what I hear. Excuse me. So he says, I have given them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them. And they have known surely that I came forth from you, and that have believed, they have believed that you sent me. So, three things. They have kept thy word. That word, word, is logos. There is two primary, and a lot of you know this, a lot of you have heard this, but I'm trying to be as simple and as basic and, and, and foundational as possible. There is a difference between the Greek word for word, logos, and rhema. They are used all over the New Testament. And we in the English just read the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. Sometimes it's rhema, sometimes it's logos. And they are very different. So he says, they have kept thy word, logos. And that they have kept doesn't mean they lived up to it perfectly like the law. That's our legalistic mind. I mean, we, you've read the New Testament, right? Like, you know, Peter, like, mm -mm. right? So he means, it actually means they have carefully guarded, stewarded over. They have a value for it. They have a value for it. And they also, they've had a value for me. Jesus is the living Logos. I mean, the Bible says Jesus is the word made flesh. That word, word is Logos. Jesus is the living word. He says, they have kept your word. They have stuck with me 
They have a value for your written word. They have a value for the scriptures. They have a value. So he says, they have kept your word. Then he says, in a sense, because of that, I have given them your words. Rhema. Which you gave me. And they have received them. So, Rhema, let me quickly read you a definition. Rhema, let's do Logos. Logos is the Word of God. Now, it comes from the word Lego, Lego fans. But it comes from the word Lego, which means to speak. So people always say the Logos is the written word, the Rhema is the spoken word. It's not really true. The word Logos means to, to speak. But it's that which has been spoken. It's been spoken before. It means the Word of God, spoken by a living voice, a word uttered by a living voice, what someone has said. And you see the definitions, the sayings of God, the moral precepts, doctrine, and so forth. It's the Scriptures. Okay. John 1.14, Jesus was the Word made flesh. Jesus is the living Logos, which means what? The Logos speaks. Because even though He has said it, His Word contains His life. We went over that last week. There is the life of God in the Scriptures, even though the words in the Scriptures, in the Logos, is alive, it's living. It has power. We'll get into that. It's alive. The Logos still speaks, even though God's already said it, because God said it, okay? Then you get Rhema. These are the words being uttered by a living voice, things spoken, any sound produced by the voice or having definite meaning. Look at these two definitions. Now, I call it the recorded Word of God, because God spoke it, and the revealed Word of God. Who knows that you're reading the Bible, you're like, uh, 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 and then suddenly you read something and it comes alive. Who knows that? Oh, okay, that's Raymer. Now, listen to this, Jack Hayford. Jesus is the living Logos, the Bible is the written Logos, and the Holy Spirit utters the spoken Logos. The meaning of Raymer is in distinction to Logos is illustrated in Ephesians 6.17, where the reference is not to the Scripture as a whole, but to the portion which the believer wields as a sword in time of need. You can't wield a sword if it hasn't been revealed to you. It's not just, oh, I know the Bible by heart. No, it's, this is the truth of this. And you stand with it. That's rhema. Okay? Bill Hammond, a rhema, and I know some of you know this, but we're going to hammer this down. A rhema is an inspired word birthed within your own spirit, a whisper from the Holy Spirit, like the still small voice that spoke to Elijah in the cave. It is a divinely inspired impression upon your soul, a flash of thought or a creative idea from God. It is conceived in your spirit, but birthed into your natural understanding by divine illumination. A true rhema carries with it a deep inner assurance and witness of the spirit. So, what did Jesus say in John 17? I have given them your logos. They have, they have a value for it. I mean, I, they, they've kept you, thy word. But, so I've given them rhema. That's the revealed. It's become revealed to us. It's like, oh, it's come alive to us. Now it's rhema. And you have to receive rhema. You receive it. So, God speaks to, you can receive rhema, I'm so thirsty, but you can receive rhema from the Logos or apart from the Logos. 
Today we're going to just talk about this. But apart from it, a prophetic word. I, I cannot tell you, the mon- and it always amazes me. Can I say something? Please don't make it about a person. But when I got saved and I read in 1 Corinthians 14 that you can reveal the treasures of people's hearts and they will fall down and worship the Lord, it pierced my heart. I said, God, I got it. This is the fastest way to bring you worship. It cuts through all the junk, all the theology. I, and I started to just cry to God for that. I used to go sit on the street and say, God, you know what car is coming next? And sit there for hours and hours trying to learn the voice of the Lord. There's nothing like his voice. Nothing when he speaks. And so, gentle no wheels, you're going somewhere else. Just details about people. Oh, that happened to you when you were six. This, this happened. You were discussing this. I heard in my head. I heard what you were saying to your husband last night. That's what the Lord says. That's informational revelation, information from the Lord to bring him glory. It's never about the person. It didn't come from this. But without this as a foundation, that gets dangerous. And that's the stuff everyone wants to hear about. They're like, tell us about that and the gifts and the way God speaks. This has to, you have to put a foundation of this. So, as fast as I can, rhema is received. You can study this inside and out, and I encourage you to do that. But when it comes alive to you, it's like, whoa, something is like comes alive. You still have to receive that. Meaning, I'm going to take that into my life, and sometimes when that happens, it, it's going to bring an adjustment. It's going to have to change something. Something's going to have to move or shift. I'm going to have to apologize to someone or I'm going to have to change something, habit. Or It doesn't always mean that. Sometimes it's about it just sets me free, but I have to believe it and partner with it. That's receiving it. And that's faith. But I have to receive rhema. We must get to rhema. So the Bible actually tells you, it's not up there, when it comes to God speaking into your heart, Rhema, that you receive. When it comes to the enemy putting thoughts and stuff and speaking into you, that you resist. When it comes to your flesh rising up, that you reckon yourself dead to. Always remember that. Receive, resist, and reckon. Very different. So, now that we have a little bit of understanding about that, some Rhema scriptures to help us understand. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the? That word is rhema. Faith doesn't come from the Bible. People are like, oh, this guy's a heretic. Friends, if faith came from the scriptures, I could put it on a loudspeaker in my car and drive down in D.C. And as they hear it, faith, faith, faith. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? Comes from rhema. The revealed word of God comes alive to you. And it's like, whoa. Then I receive it by either partnering it or making decisions, relying on what God has said to me. That action, that step, that's faith. But faith, and so obviously we know it in a sense comes from here, but faith comes from hearing. What did I say last week? What is the, the, the word that Jesus used more than any other word by far is the word hear. 
because he's always wanted to lead you by his voice. It's a relational kingdom. How about this? John 15, we all know this scripture. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, John 15, verse 7 to 8, and you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But this, by this my Father is glorified. You bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. So we read that, we're like, that's fantastic. All right, Lord, this is what I need. Here's the list, boom. Doesn't work. Why? He said, if you abide in me and my words, rhema, if my words, the words that I've spoken to you personally, if they abide in you, if they come alive in you, and you abide in them, you think on them, you meditate on them, it brings change to your life. You act on them. Sometimes you have to take a step of faith on them. If you abide in that, you can ask whatever you want that has to do with what I've said to you. Not just the whole Bible. What I've said to you, what's come alive, anything you ask about what I've said to you, I'll give it to you. Noah, for example, could have asked God anything about the ark. God would have given it. <laughs> I know I'm stepping on some toes. People say, oh, I claim all the promises of God. Great. That's wonderful. Why aren't you living in all of them? Because they haven't become alive to you. When the Spirit of God makes it alive to you, it's yours. And some of that, a lot of it comes from just study. Study, read, study, read. And it comes alive. You're like, wow. Now you have an option. How do I, am I going to put some weight on this? Am I going to rely on it? Am I going to put faith out? That's faith. That's the action. That's a step. When the angel, I said this to the crowd last, last night. When the angel came to Mary and he said, you know, you're going to have a a baby and all of this. And she said, how's it going to happen? And she said, how is this possible? And what did the angel say? Uh, Luke one thirty-seven: With God, nothing shall be impossible. You know that word nothing is the only time it's used like this? Only time in the Bible. And it's this. In the Greek, it's three words. O parema. It doesn't, it's not actually the word nothing. It's like just the best word they could bring it up. And the angel literally said this. No thing that God has personally said to you or revealed to you is impossible. But it's from the relationship. From the relationship. The rhema has come. The living word has spoke. Wah! Ask anything you want about that. It'll be yours. Because I'll provide anything. Because you are putting, you are resting, you're putting some weight on what I've said. It's not just name it, claim it, friends. There's a lot of truth in that, to, to, to a degree. But it's not just memory. It's not just memorize. It's relationship. I will lead you by my voice. What does James 4 say? You do not have because you do not? Ask. And people just start asking. And it says, and when you ask, you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. It's actually the same truth. He's saying, ask me for the things that have to do with what I've said to you. Because that's got to do with your destiny and your good and your health and your future. <laughs> ask me about that. Oh, I long to give good things. Then it says the next, do not be deceived, dear brethren. All good, heavenly, all good things come from the Father above. He's like, I have so much good for you. Let's talk about what I want to talk about, in a sense.
not just a list. I hope this is making sense to you. So, I'm going to take five minutes. Are you guys good for five more minutes? I know we went long. How do we position ourselves to receive rhema, living word, from Logos? Well, have a value for the Logos. Look at this verse, one verse. This was actually going to be what I was going to preach about today. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. Look at this verse, Hebrews 4.12, very famous verse. For the word of God is living and active, or living and powerful, and sharper than any, to which sword, piercing, let's read it, you read it with me to make you come alive, piercing, even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That word, word, is the word logos. So, what has it just told us? It's told us that this word logos has origin, has properties, and it has effects. Hmm. What's its origin? God. Oh, we could talk about that for an hour. What value do you have for God's voice? Do you have the time to get to know the, the voice of the one who spoke you into being? It's from Him. People say, I'm busy. I, you know, I, I get, I'm busy. Everything comes from His voice. The origin is God, El Shaddai, Yahweh. I'll move on from there. What properties? Well, it tells us the Word of God is what? Living and powerful. In the Greek, the word living comes from the word zoe, which is God life. It's not just like life. It's God life. It's life that can be snuffed out. So this is alive. And it's powerful. That word energia, where we get our word energy from. And it, it, means, it actually means this. Powerful with God's own power to work mighty works. So what, where, what's the origin of this? God. Origin of the Logos? God. What's its properties? It has God life and God power. So it's still alive. Then it has effects. What are the effects in us? This is where it gets very quick. Piercing, even to the division, that word is divide asunder, of soul and spirit and marrow, and the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So what is the effect? When you just read the Bible, just read the Bible, you don't have to just read it. What is the effect? Because you're trying to build a foundation to receive rhema, the living word, yes, from here, but this builds a foundation in you to know God's voice crisply and clearly in all manners of life. But what are the properties of this? They have kept my word. The value is for this. What are its effects? Properties is God life, God power. What are its effects? It says it will divide asunder, and it's a discerner. What does it divide? Between soul and spirit. So, we'll explain that. And what does it discern? The thoughts. That word thoughts means thoughts. And intense. That word intense means the way something becomes fixed in a person's heart. 
So what does it divide? Just by reading this, it has its own power and its own life to build in you something, in a sense, for you to know the thing that's coming up is coming from my soul, how I feel, how my week has been, versus from my spirit. Oh, that's God. I, I, I wrote it this way. <coughs> Excuse me. So his word will start to separate according to source. Before you even understand that, that's what its effects will do inside you. It'll start to separate according to source. It'll literally strengthen my spirit and, in a sense, silence the voice of the flesh and the soul. So that there's less of a stream coming from here. Whenever I teach on the voice of God, same question, number one. I don't know what's me and what's the Lord and what's... uh, I don't know. Read the Bible. (coughs) Not to just have understanding... Because it will start to strengthen the one and silence the other. So there's not a constant stream. Does that make sense? So that there's less of that in our thinking process. It still comes up, we're still normal people, but it just doesn't come up as much. Also, simultaneously, the other word, discerner, teaches us, grows us in the ability to know which things to throw out. (coughs) Sorry, I swallowed something wrong. And which things to receive. It says it's a discerner between what? The thoughts and the intents of the heart. Thoughts come. It's like a host at a restaurant. You're like, I have, an, I have a booking. No, you don't. Get out. Okay, they shouldn't do that. But you choose. What do I host and what do I cast? The Bible will put a discernment in you because the Logos, because we have a value for Scripture, for that which God has said, for Jesus, the living Logos. It will put something in you which silences the soul or the flesh, strengthens the spirit, and builds the, actually trains your conscience, this next one, it trains your conscience to discern that's from me, that's from the enemy, that's from the Lord. And it will help you to make sure that what is established is the right thing. Excuse me. This is revealed to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17.10. He says, I, the Lord, I, what does it say? I search the heart to see what the mind is like come down there. I search the heart, but I test the mind. That word mind there is the Hebrew word for kidney. He's saying, I'm testing the mind to see if it's functioning to get rid of toxins. To get rid of the wrong stuff. So that what comes down to the heart when I search it is me. And that's what grows in the soil of your heart. All of this, friends, all of this comes, we're not even talking about receiving like specific prophetic words. We'll get there. We will. I'm not going to not do that. But all of this comes from this. It builds something in you before you even understand it. Just read it. It changes you. Value it. They have kept thy word. Because they've kept thy logos, they have a value, they've guarded it. I will, I've given them your rhema. And they've received it. 
I was going to get onto how do we do that practically, but we'll do that next week. This word, you don't have to be a theologian. You're not, maybe not called to preach. You don't even have to understand it all. It has its own internal life. And it's God life. It can't be snuffed out. We want blessing. We want the experience which God wants to give. But how dangerous is it, friends, when people are thirsty or hungry or even gifted prophetically, they pick up things, but they haven't built a foundation to discern where those things are coming from. Do you value it? I encourage you, value it. Value it. Give yourself to it. Read it. Just read it. Sometimes you study two verses an hour. Sometimes you read half a book, a whole book. Doesn't, you know that you can read the, the, the Gospels? There's less words in the Gospels, all the Gospels together, than most newspapers. It doesn't take long. Just read it. Amen? Thank you. I know you were gracious, but what a wonderful time of worship today.